Coming to you from USL headquarters, this is Steal Some Time. Here's the USL's Kelsey Steele. Episode 6, we are here. Welcome into Steal Some Time. I'm your host, Kelsey Steele, joined by Scott Stewart and our lovely producer, Matt Calvo. Guys, how are we doing today? How was our weekend? 16 weeks in. 16 weeks in. Another weekend full of championship. And this time I'd argue that every single one of those games that I watched, minus one, which we will speak about, paid off. Really? Yeah, I thought it was a great weekend, top to bottom, honestly. Saturday was busy, too. Saturday was very busy, but it started relatively entertaining, and it finished definitely entertaining. Shout out Sacramento. So, yeah, yeah I stayed really awake. Yeah, they put a stamp on the night yep. in Sacramento, and we'll, we'll get to that. We'll highlight everything from this past week, and we're going to have to spend some time talking about the World Cup today. I think that kind of goes without saying. We are super lucky. We have... One of the coolest guests in this week, Tiffany Milbritt, one of the greatest uh, women's soccer players in our country of all time, is coming into our podcast today to chat with us. Um, she's in France at the moment, taking in all the World Cup action. So she she took some time away and uh, ha- had a nice conversation with us. So I cannot wait for you guys to hear that one. According um, to Bleacher Report, the number nine U.S. women's national team player of all time. Wow. Wow. Just wow. I throw that out there. Wow. Yeah, 200 caps. I mean, she's she's the real deal. Um, and well, yeah, we'll get into uh, our social moment of the week and look at look ahead in week 17. And, of course, we'll debate it out here at the very end. I will lead into that with saying that <clears throat> Kelsey Steele currently has the lead. So, Scott, we've got some, some work to do for you today. I always have work to do, it seems. <laughs> at one point, I considered keeping score, but I knew that I wouldn't need to do that. No. Because Kelsey Steele is one, involved. One half of this will always keep score. Guys, I'm just winning's really important. <laughs> it's cool. Hey, if I grew up in Cincinnati, I'd get my hands on everything I could get. So, and we've come full circle. And there it <laughs> is. Three, two minutes into the podcast. Speaking of Cincinnati, over in the Open Cup this past week, FC Cincinnati took their loss. They were sent home by USL side St. Louis FC. So I want to talk a little bit about the Open Cup here. And it's, it really, we just talked about this too. It feels like that was three weeks ago that uh, New Mexico and St. Louis played in uh, in the Open Cup. But it really was just this past week. And geez, let's start over in St. Louis first. And we had Sam Fink on and had a chat with him about you know what the Open Cup means to to their city and to their club and to him and what it's like to represent your hometown and your home city and how big of a deal that is for him. And then he drops these so many great one-liners about inspiring the next generation. And then he comes in and what the, the 93rd minute and finishes a, a corner and uh, it was storybook, I feel like. It was perfect. Uh, Un- unbelievable! I had chills watching him finish that that, that corner kick. It, it, I couldn't believe it. It was really full circle. Unmarked in the middle. I think Cincinnati would probably. I think that's maybe just as heartbreaking as it is entertaining for St. Louis is the fact that Cincinnati will be absolutely kicking themselves going through that entire 90 minutes, dominating the second half from a visual standpoint. I'm not sure how St. Louis felt about the second half, but from at least the the folks I was talking to during the game, it seemed like Cincinnati got a nice hold on it, but then to go all the way through the match and then leave the captain, maybe the main target on a set piece, Sam Fink, unmarked in the middle of, you know, arguably the, the highest period of intensity in the game is a bummer of a way to go out. But St. Louis embodying everything that I think we mentioned we would look for last week. They were 
just as physical. They were edgy. They played aggressively. They played with high energy. They did probably everything and then some that, that Anthony Peel has told them to do when they went out there. And, and it paid off. I mean, like I said, I think that they had the vast majority of the chances in the first half to, to take the game away and did not. And so that's when, you know, in the second half, when Cincinnati sort of takes the game on, that's when you start to think to yourself, oh, man, are they really going to regret not putting one or two away in the first half, really owning the game? But sometimes it's just written in the stars, and and if that's how you're going to finish, and especially with Sam coming on and just being like, yeah, I mean, we want to give the Open Cup everything we can because it's an extra competition. You know, you have to weigh out your balances between the regular season and what you want to accomplish, but we're here for it, and he was there for it, and obviously it, it ended the way it did in, uh, in dramatic fashion. St. Louis had a ton of opportunities, especially early on, really applied the pressure there early. Uh, Russell Cicerone yeah. looked fantastic. Yeah. And I think if there's any game this year that he wanted to look fantastic, it's probably that one. Um, so I was really happy for him to kind of have – obviously, you know, he didn't find the back of the net, but, man, he had a few very, very good chances. He was great, and, I mean, I think that – what he said leading into the game was a lot of common denominators among USL players or championship players specifically who have faced Cincinnati in the past, thinking that, you know, while they don't have the exact same roster as when we saw them last year, if all of us or if at least a few of us felt like we were better, and Russell obviously having that experience firsthand, being a former Cincy player, this was more than just a vengeance game for them. They they wanted to do more than just go and serve revenge cold they wanted to take it in 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 the flesh and I think that they made the most of their opportunity I don't think anyone from St. Louis had a poor game by any means and and I think a lot of credit still needs to go to Cincinnati for how they played that night they were not a you know a poor outfit by any means it just seemed like it was there for St. Louis and when it mattered most they were the one to show up St. Louis will be joined by New Mexico United, another side moving on to the next round. And uh, they had 2-1 win over FC Dallas. They'll see Minnesota in the next round. And, I mean, I know we talk a lot about New Mexico, but there are way too many points of interest about this team. And uh, I really want to hone down here on Cody Mizell and his performance mm-hmm. in that game was spectacular. He's been He's been so spectacular for them all season. Um, I think that we have to acknowledge the level of skill Freighter had to bring that ball down, control it off of his chest, and then finish it. And that was a fantastic goal. And then obviously for Sam Hamilton to come in and, and finish a loose ball in, in the box. And um, it was pretty storybook, I think, for New Mexico. Another open cup storyline sort of writing itself. Yeah, yeah. But when you say that, again, all the credit in the world goes to New Mexico for actually making it happen, right? And FC Dallas, again, like Cincinnati, were not bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's just there's something weird going on with New Mexico. <laughs> and I think that it probably— it's the chili, I'm telling you. It probably fits Albuquerque very, very well, what's going on there right now. But I think that, you know, for everything that you would say about Kaman Freighter not traveling to the Gold Cup— every bit of it has been worth it for New Mexico United. And they have to be thrilled that although their player was robbed of a glorious chance on the international stage, they get to reap the benefits of having him stick around. So fantastic game from them. Sam Hamilton with an absolute banger to just really drive home the point. But the best part of the night for me was watching them after the full-time whistle, going over to the, the traveling fans, sort of doing the up-and-down celebration. You saw Mizell going crazy. You saw Freighter going crazy. Just really embracing this partnership and this energy that that the players feed off the fans and the fans feed off the players I mean it's really something that you cannot 
produce inorganically and it's it's just such a great sight to see and an open cup or championship it doesn't matter where it's happening it's just the fact that these guys freaking show up man they show up every single weekend regardless of how good or how bad the team is and and those are the types of fans that are the easiest to latch on to they truly care and i think that's that's the difference maker and new mexico united's front office staff understands that and decided to put together a package for their fans so now they're giving fans the opportunity to go to minnesota which i mean I would believe that if you are raised in New Mexico, you've probably never been to mm. Minnesota in your life. I don't think that I would voluntarily make a trip to Minnesota if living in New Mexico. Not you would in July. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe in July. But yeah, they're putting together a plane, flight package, whole ordeal, 250 bucks, round trip airfare, transportation, a ticket to the game, and a swag bag. Un. Believable for two hundred and fifty dollars? Yep. Are you are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean it's it's and probably the most downplayed part of this. Shout out Minnesota United for the new venue that they yeah. just opened up earlier this year, which I'm sure would be worth the two hundred and fifty dollar price tag alone just to experience going to Allianz Field and what they've got going on up there. So I will say first that I think it's a, a tragedy that championship clubs aren't able to host every single round. I think that's a bummer because I would love to see lower league teams hosting MLS teams all the way through the competition. But if you do have to understand that the nuances of that can't always work, then having this as an option and to be able to give that to your supporters, it just oozes class from United and and is nothing short of what we've seen, obviously for what they've been able to put together already. Well, it was Twelman, Taylor Twelman, right, on Twitter that called them the best story in U.S. Yeah. soccer this year. And, I mean, it's, it's, got a darn it's good hard point. to argue. Yeah. What's happening there is truly sensational, and I can't wait to see how many people they get out to Minnesota for this game. And, you know, it would obviously be picture perfect if they could get an outcome out of there as well. But – Either way, we'll be tuning into that uh, the next round, and it's going to be an exciting one for championship play. Speaking of, over in the West this weekend, you kind of alluded to it here in the beginning, but I think we have to lead off with Sacramento and their pure form of domination over Tulsa on Saturday night. Tulsa's in a little bit of free fall right yeah. now, and I think that's they haven't won since April 24, and I, I feel for them because they started so well. They started so well that – there were some quiet rusings in the office of them potentially being like a Western Conference frontrunner that no one saw coming. You know what I mean? I think it was one of those, is is this real? Let's see like, how long it lasts. It's also real. Yeah, well, now we're pumping the brakes a little bit here, and we, we got a nice taste of what Sacramento is able to produce at their finest. And Saturday night, 6-0, a couple braces from a couple players, goal from Sam Warner, um, it had everything that a 6-0 could possibly have, and, and I mean that in a good way. It was a great outing from, from Sacramento, but for Tulsa, it was another night to forget. And I think in their last three games, they've lost a combined like 13-0 or something like that, which is a tough pill to swallow that's for any that's, team. That's, that's hard. Yeah. And, but on the other end of it, it's really nice to see Sacramento coming together flourishing we said at the beginning of the season too that this was a club that we all had our eyes on we thought that this would they'd be a shoo-in in the top three four you know and they really those first two months they struggled finding that gear really pushing forward and all of a sudden these last few games starting to put a string of results together starting to really kind of 
come to fruition and six zero result is going to provide a lot of momentum a a lot of uh uh confidence i think going mm-hmm. into the next week which is they're going to need their next two meetings are reno and fresno it's not getting easier for sacramento so now i think more than ever is going to be a time for them to prove that we deserve to be up there and and we're going to prove it to you yeah and I, again i think that they just showed how multifaceted they are, right. that goals can come from anywhere on the field. But in saying that, the fact that you have Cameron Owasa never hurts when you're going against anybody because that guy just finds a way to, to hit the back of the net, and he did it twice on Saturday. So And an assist. I yeah, feel like, and an assist. I feel like whenever you have Cameron Owasa on your team, you're not going to ever be out of anything. Right. And, and he's, he's an incredible player who just – he's somebody who sort of a la we spoke in this vein of Omar Salgado last week mm-hmm. – Awasa is just somebody who seems to make things happen when they aren't happening. And he kick-started things, I think, with the assist and then got the two goals after that. So, uh, yeah, a really impressive showing. And now, again, sort of what we spoke for a lot of teams, really, but especially for Sacramento over the last couple of weeks, consistency. Moving forward, being able to maybe not produce a 6-0 every time that you step on the field, because let's not get crazy, but being able to produce results week in and week out, going against – Tough competition, going on the road, figuring it out, keeping it all together. I'm interested to see how the next couple of weeks play out for them. Be interesting to see too how some of the other teams in the West adjust. Vegas coming off of their first road win of the season. Uh, on let's let's make a note of that here against El Paso too. Yep. Not not an easy win to get on the road, let alone your first one on the road. Um, I I think there were a few uh, weird storylines within that game. El Paso dominated possession. Yeah, it was a weird game. Um, you know, ten shots overall, four on goal. Keep in mind that Tabor Ikata's goal was the only shot on goal yep. for Las Vegas that night. So one of those that you know maybe that really should have shifted El Paso's way, but you know Lights FC finished their one chance, and that's soccer, and and that's how it's going to be. Yep, and that's I mean you said it. That's just how the game is played sometimes. And I was talking to my my brother during the game actually, and I just I think I just kept saying like. Well, and Vegas is still beating El Paso on the road, which is kind of freaking me out a little bit. It was just kind of it was throwing my mojo off on a Saturday <laughs> night when I'm sitting at home working all these games. I was just like, this just feels weird to me. And then sure enough, full time, and I'm still staring at a zero and a one, and they're flipped on the score sheet for how I expected them to be. So, yeah, a crazy result for Vegas, but even crazier the fact that this was their first win on the road. It's just period. crazy. And Olsen had a great game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Olsen yeah. was nuts mm-hmm. in goal. I mean, it was it was incredible from them, but they are quite literally the polar opposite of expectations in my eyes, at least, in terms of you're unbeaten at home, you're 5-0-3 at home, and this is your first win on the road. Imagine what that Lights FC team could be or who they could be if they were closer to the vein of Phoenix who leads both categories home and away in terms of Western Conference records. Still plenty of time. I mean, that, oh, right, yeah, right plenty Right near of time. that halfway mark. So, yep. I mean, we've seen how many shifts have happened at this point in time, you know, yeah. so moving in. It's it's kind of interesting. Another one of those teams that had that late start in the season was Indy 11. And yeah. lo- look at them now. They're they're eight unbeaten, four wins in a row, which I believe is a club record for yeah, Wendy, four absolutely. wins in a row. Um, I think we have to acknowledge how many of these goals are coming late for Indy. And if we want to kind of get into why that is, is is it just a, I, they perform better under pressure? You know, are they, it's, it's a take them a while to get going. It's, it's an interesting little snippet, I think, of this Indy team that so many of these goals are coming in the 84th, 85th, 86th minute, you know? And very few of them from Dane Kelly. That's and the other part. Yeah, it's, it, 
Indy, he hasn't this is scored in this eight beat eight, eight game unbeaten streak. That's crazy. This is this is the one game I had an issue with this weekend. By the way, uh, oh, what do you know? <laughs> yeah, this is the one game I had an issue with this weekend, just because I thought that the the energy had just been taken out of it completely. I thought Atlanta and Indy were both very physical, and they, neither one of them shied out or, like shied away from anything. But I just felt like. I was looking for a punch out of this game, and I didn't receive much more than like an eighty-year-old granny kind of throwing, throwing a <laughs> throwing a slow right hook that eventually landed. You it know turned into I mean? a slap fight. It did. It's, it turned into a little bit of a slap fight. Um, but in saying that, Jordan Farr in goal for Indy was immense and kept Atlanta off the score sheet on a number of occasions. Like you said, the fact that the goal comes is the most important thing for Indy Eleven. They won't care what minute in it came in or how it came about or whatever. They continue to roll. Four wins in a row, eight unbeaten. I mean, it's it's a it's a great streak from them. But when you look at performances on paper versus performances on the field and how you see them, you could look at an eight-game unbeaten run, but I would say El Paso's looked better. Their nine games looked better. They felt better. I'm seeing a lot of things on paper for Indy that look really good on paper because I can see the scoreline but maybe don't look as good when I see the film and when I see it played out on the field. So not knocking them and their playing style in any way, shape, or form, just saying that maybe this run has not been as um, emphatic as you would expect a team who's won four straight and who's who's been unbeaten in eight to, to have a run. You know what I mean? And they may be victims too to expectations to a certain level. Well, because going they into, had my biggest expectations. Yeah, going the into the season, they sure. were one of the highest. I mean, they're one of the teams that came in with the high, one of the highest expectations, mm-hmm. and, and it's Illich taken some out. I mean, they've, they've, lost been, they've dealt with injuries as yep, well. Yeah. Yep, a lot of injuries. Uh, and of Olson is just now starting to see the field again. Illich is slowly. He did not see the field this weekend, but should be back either uh, Wednesday or Saturday against Louisville, which is. A whole different storyline that I'm sure will be touched on. But, again, I also think that they have the disadvantage of you look across the way and you see Phoenix, and Phoenix goes on the road, and Phoenix beats people 3-0, And Indy just, that's not who they are. And they might have a lot of attacking talent and might be looked at in a similar way, but that's that's not their team. And so, again, I wouldn't want to disparage an eight-game unbeaten run or a four-game win streak because both of those things are incredible. Maybe just looking for more than one goal in the 84th minute in the way I'm doing it. And dare I say you wouldn't want to play them right now either. I would not want to play Indy at any point, honestly. I couldn't agree more. I also want to counter your argument, Scott, and just say that it doesn't matter how it gets done. Mm -hmm. And I think that different teams are going to perform differently in those scenarios. And with Dane Kelly not fully into his form at the moment, Maybe this is how they get it done until he hits that spark and and that's and that fl- switch is flipped, and then you're worried because they are performing and producing results like the El Pasos, like yeah. the Phoenix, and then you're like, hey, remember when Dane Kelly hadn't scored a ga- hadn't scored a goal in in eight games, and now you're like, the East is dangerous. It's a dangerous place for for Indy to be and in uh, Tampa Bay and Louisville and just. A, a lot. It just lot feels like on. they're all playing playoff soccer right now, though. Yeah. And it's not playoff soccer time. You know, show us what you got right now. If you want to grit and grind out 1 0s, those better come in October. But if they need to come in June, will they still come in October? Getting the job done now, w- worry about the rest of it later. Yep. We've got to talk about Women's World Cup, Scott. I think that it is happening. It is, it is, it is happening in case you've. 
he's been living under a rock these last uh, few weeks. Um, the office has been the greatest place to be watching these games. It's fantastic to be able to work in soccer and take in these games at the same time. Um, we've got to talk about the USA's 2-1 win over Spain on Monday. They'll see France on Friday, which is going to be so good. Um, luckily for so good, we can't even repeat Megan Rapinoe's comments on what she's expecting out of it. That's, that's how, how that's it how good is. it's going to be. Uh, Greatest soundbite of sp- in sports of all time. Absolutely, probably media circus, and we'll leave it at that. There's a few things I want to get into about that matchup, though, between Spain and USA. But there's a there there's a lot of contradicting the thoughts. The gears are turning. The, <laughs> the gears so are turning. The first one I want to bring to attention is the second PK situation. So Alex Morgan has the ball in her hand, and then they go away and they review it, whatever's going on, and then Rapino's the one who steps up to the mark. So my question is, did Jill Ellis make that call? Did Megan Rapino go to Alex Morgan and say, I'm taking this? Or did Alex say, I don't want to do it anymore? Yeah, there's a lot that is generally made up about these situations and from talking with players, obviously not having been in a women's world cup about to take a penalty kick Weird. myself, having talked with that players, believe, yeah, so. I know, right. Having spoken with players who have been in situations like that though, there normally isn't as big of a deal as people think it is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's very easy to just be like, holy cow, why is Megan Rapino Like, did she go and rip the ball out of Alex Morgan's crying hands? You know what I mean? Like, was Alex Morgan on her knees in tears because Megan Rapino made? No. It could have been Jill. It could have been Megan. But either way, clearly somewhere along the line it came down to Alex Morgan that Megan Rapino was the appropriate person to take it, having scored the first one. Mm-hmm. Obviously it paid off. And if she missed, then the easy narrative would have been she shouldn't have taken it. But I still think that could be the wrong narrative. So not making that much of it. I think a lot more was made about whether or not it was a penalty than than them taking than who was actually taking it, but And we'll uh, get into yeah. that. Yeah. We'll get into that. I though I think the whole PK situation and, and who's being chosen to take that is really interesting because a lot of people after yesterday's uh, game between Canada and um oh for the life of me. Um Oh, the Canada uh, Sweden. Sweden. Jesus. Yeah. Canada and Sweden. Uh everyone was wondering why in the world is Janine Becky taking this PK over Sinclair? And then it comes out that Sinclair went to Janine Becky and said, "I I want you to take this. I don't want to take it." Turns out that she had uh, missed the PK the last time they played Sweden. So oh. mentally, Sinclair did, was not ready to take that. And so, but from the outside looking in, you don't you don't know that. Yeah, that's really interesting too. And I mean, that's why even if Alex did feel like she should have taken the penalty, she's never going. I mean, you've seen this group of girls; mm-hmm. they're not going to bicker because someone's going to decide to take a spot kick. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm sure uh, Alex would have loved to have scored because it's been a, a few games now. Mm-hmm. But when you score five in the first one, I think your your goal tally can kind of be spread across the board a little bit. So, yeah, I think really interesting. My heart is broken for Janine Becky in Canada. I Agreed. thought that was one of the most brutal ways that you could see yourselves out. But um, that's the that's the beautiful game and not so beautiful game sometimes, and, and that was the way it went down. You mentioned Alex Morgan, and she was really thrown around on Monday. Uh, that was a really physical game. I think Spain was brilliant and that they came out with a game plan. They knew how you know they were going to come out against uh, U.S. I mean, they're, 
U.S.'s rhythm was disrupted. I mean, Spain's game plan was working to it. I mean, they were playing fast. Yeah. They were physical. They were making sure that that Alex Morgan knew that they were they were not going to be soft around one of the best goal, goal scorers in the world. They didn't care, and they took her out of that game a lot. Yeah, and I think Spain coming in as one of the dark horses for the tournament in general. I don't think as much stock was put into this as there should have been, mm-hmm. um, and I think that obviously you said it very well. Uh, the USA were tested, were absolutely tested, and you should expect that at the round of 16 in the in the Women's World Cup. But I don't think, again, just looking at Spain on paper, it was probably for some people easier to write off because of the expectation we have of the women every time they see the field. So comparing France and Spain is virtually impossible. I think that Friday is going to be a completely, completely different test, and I think a lot of people will see it coming. And arguably just as big as the potential World Cup final, whether it involves USA or France or not. France and U.S. last met in January. France won that one 3-1. to one. It's going to be a good one. Tickets are going upwards of over $11,000 right now for that game. So Good thing I just had that random bank drop for twelve k. <laughs> now I can afford to fry to France on Friday. So. Thank God you're going to make that game, Scott. Wouldn't miss it. We need the New Mexico deal. Yes, we do. For that game. Yeah, we'll, we'll call that someone. One. There it is. So that one's going to be great. Friday, USA, France. It is go time for Women's World Cup. Speaking of the World Cup, we are going to have one of the most legendary women's soccer players of all time in the U.S. to join us to chat a little bit about the current World Cup, her time uh, playing for the national team. Tiffany Milbert is stepping in with us. And guys, this is a heck of an interview. She provides a ton of insight. And this is someone who has had over 100 goals, 200 caps, is in the National Soccer Hall of Fame. So we are super honored to have her on board with us. So stick around. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll be joined by u.s soccer legend tiffany milbrick hey soccer fans this is jeff ruder of the athletic and you're listening to steal some time all right, such an exciting day here at Steal Some Time as we are now joined by former U.S. Women's National Team forward Tiffany Milbert. Tiffany, thanks for taking the time and welcome on to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's nice to be here in France uh, and talking to you guys from here. Yeah, we got to know what is the atmosphere like in, in France right now? <laughs> well, it's actually really cool. I mean, I think, you know, the biggest piece is, uh, you know, seeing some other games, other countries, but being a part of like being in bars and watching like the France, um, watching other other teams. Um, it's just this really kind of comparable atmosphere of uh, something big is happening, right? So it's it's really neat to be a part of. I love that. And the VA, VAR situation is obviously something that we have to bring up here at the top of the show. Uh, something that's been a really big talking point, I think, for this World Cup in France. And the USL was actually the first professional league to test out VAR during a New York Rebels 2 match and Orlando City B match in 2016. So with the role it's playing this year in the Women's World Cup, do you, do you think we're getting it right with VAR? Well, I mean, I think you can get a lot right uh, when you do have the, the the VAR replay and, you know, the, the choice of using that. And I think, so that's not really my concern. My concern is you're kind of taken away from the chaos 
or just the you know spontaneity of the game and like the fallacy of 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 how quickly plays happen and and you know referees let that go or they mistake it and so I, I'm kind of missing some of that um, to be honest with you I think you know VAR's been been I think uh, I just read an article today that it's actually been pretty spot on but with the luxury of the TV replay and the replay over and over and over of course you're going to get get it right but my thing is what is it doing to you know the spontaneity of the game is is kind of my concern. I think they're losing a lot of the organic response, too. So now it feels like goal celebrations and things like that aren't happening in real time anymore. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it feels like this complete letdown in a way. It's like, oh, no, a VAR check. (laughs) I mean, you know, seriously, I think it's a big deal. I think it's something that is going to have to be refined. I don't mind it. Um, especially when it's the team that I really care about. No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. But no, I don't mind it in some aspect. Um, but I think, again, in general, like the game is beautiful because there are things that happen um, that probably shouldn't have. But we love that. And I think we're going to find a lot of people who want that back for the game, for sure. Does it make you wonder how results would have been impacted for you when you were playing? I mean, obviously, we've seen that picture of uh, Rihanna Squirry on the goal line. It's been going all across Twitter um, these last few weeks. You know, like, do you think about that at all? Yeah, she would have been put in jail. That's how criminal her, like, her, her, like, start was, right? Like, of that save. Um, Sure. I mean, absolutely. Results are impacted. um, And um, there definitely would have been some things, um, probably even our 2000 Olympic final, Dagny Melgren probably would have been called for that handball um, before she slotted home to beat us, you know, in, in the golden goal. Uh, two to one in in Sydney so I think that would have probably been called back so yeah there would have been definitely some some things that would have been advantageous and some things we would have bemoaned but um, again I think we need to find a real balance of of kind of you know having some structure but not too much because it is a letdown Completely agree. Could not agree more. And I think this World Cup specifically, it's been monumental for teams like Argentina and and Chile who are really fighting for respect and to really just have a women's professional team. And then, of course, you have the lawsuit with the U.S. women's national team at the moment. And there is a real obvious gap, I think, in support from federations for the men versus the women. Why do you think it's so hard for these women's professional teams to get buy-in? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, listen, I, I don't have the, the magic explanation, but obviously living, living through it, um, it's just, it, it's, it's just changing society and then changing attitudes. Um, I don't know. I don't know why you have a population that is half your population that does not have opportunities. I just, it, it, you know, as I get older, it, it just doesn't make sense. No, I'm not saying that means equivalent the same dollars, but literally when you had, like, for instance, in England, you had, they had a rule that banned, and even in Brazil, it banned females from playing soccer. Like, how is that legal? How is that even legal that you ban, like, a gender from doing something. So I think it, it just, it's so, such a, a long battle and it's so deep rooted in, um, like, I think society first. Um, and, but it is changing. I'm proud of every moment that there is a, a slightly 
a different turn and in a slightly small advantage and advancement and I mean, it's it's. I, I'm really happy. I, I mean, I've seen more action now than I have probably, you know, in 35 years combined. So, um, in in just a short span of 10 years here, maybe even the last five years. So, that is uh, something to to be positive about. And then it continues to make you want to fight. Do you think there's anything that comes to mind right away that could be done to help close that gap? Well, I just think whatever you what whatever the male gender is allowed as an opportunity, so should the female gender. Now, I don't know how like that would work, um, but I, I just the 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 men get to grow up with knowing that that if they're good enough, they are going to have a place to play. They are gonna whatever sport, right? I I would love to see. When a you know a female is born, they will grow up knowing that they have every opportunity to to do anything they want as well. I love that, and that's really transitions into uh, my next point. And in your current role right now, forming and, and really molding the youth uh, of America, and you've taken that role as director of coach and player development with the Tampa Bay United Rowdies, which is really exciting for for this area. And uh, I think what's interesting with this role is it's all encompassing. So you're really playing a large part in coaching girls and boys, which is something that you don't see much of today, a woman, a woman coaching boys soccer. Yeah. And even obviously I'll be the director of the coaches as right. well. So, um, I, I don't know, like I, I am looking forward to the moment where, uh, it is just completely normal. Um, and we won't have to discuss it, but yeah, I mean, there's, but in the meantime, I'm, I'm really excited about this next level challenge. Absolutely. Because I've not been given, uh, this opportunity except for, you know, youth summer camps and, and coaching boys and being a part of coaching courses where you do train the boys for, you know, for that as well. But, um, I really enjoy, uh, being a part of, of the boys side of the game too. They're, uh, you know, and the more that I'm around it, the more that it really is the same. It, it, they are soccer players nonetheless. There are good ones. There are, you know, struggling ones. There are, you know, challenging personalities. There are more motivated players, less motivated players. And this is, this is boys and girls across the board. I don't know how uh, the girls have gotten such a bad rap about uh, well, they're just different. They're just different. Well, I don't treat them any differently um, to the level of athlete that they're trying to become. And, you know, you might have a more challenging personality here or there. But I also see that when I coach the boys, too. Um, there's challenging, uh, you know, personalities, and they're maybe not as motivated as well. But the cream rises to the top, I think, in both genders. And, and it doesn't and there is no separation about what it takes. It, it really doesn't. I just think it's an attitude toward uh, training a player or training an athlete and uh, allowing them to grow and bloom. And I think this is, this is what I'm hoping to bring uh, you know, to Tampa Bay United. 
in your post playing career too, you spent a lot of time with youth soccer and, and developing the younger generation. And I think it's really interesting because Abby Wambach was talking about in her uh, in her memoir and in a few different interviews how hard that transition was for her to go from being a professional <laughs> athlete and then retiring and literally reinventing herself. And you kind of hear about that across the board for all sports. And you've really laid a, a great foundation for yourself. But what's that adjustment like to, to just turn that switch and suddenly a huge part of your life is just over? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is a big deal. It is a big transition. It is something that uh, you think you're preparing yourself for and then you are not prepared for it. So I think it hits everybody a little differently. I think there's different reasons why you might miss something. You might miss certain aspects about the game. You might miss certain, uh, you know, uh, moments of, of the journey. Um, but I think if you are allowed to play to the fullest and as long as you can, you know, you're satisfied with the career you had, but yeah, you have to make an adjustment and it is a psychological, mental, emotional piece to, uh, moving on to the next phase in your life when all you've known, um, is what you've known, right? So it, I can't even describe, uh, you know, how long it took me to just, I'm saying it's probably it's taken me four to five to six years to fully adjust out of uh, being a player. That's so interesting. And obviously, I can't let you go today without talking about being one of the 99ers and that impact in your life. And why do you think that that team was so special and so memorable, not just for the women's game, but but for soccer as a whole? Well, I, first of all, I'm simple. We were good. Yeah. I mean, we were absolutely fantastic. I mean, I no, I wasn't best friends with with uh, you know a lot of my teammates, but man, they were. I would play with them any day, every day. I would play with all of those, and you know, we just had a special. We had a special group of of really, really, really talented, motivated, driven players. Um, so that's number one. I mean, you don't achieve anything at the highest level or uh, sustain it through years unless you really have ability and talent, right? Um, but number two, I just think we were all, um, it, it was such a lesson. This team was such a lesson in, um, again, regardless of who your friends are, how the struggles, you all had the same goal to win all the time. And when you guys are on the same page of right, the same end goal, um, it, it is really simple what you have to do, the job you have to do, what you bring to the table every single day. And, and I, I'm telling you, every single player brought it every single day to win. Tell you what, that gives you the chills listening to it. And you're you're in France now, experiencing one of the greatest sporting events in the world. So I want to let you get to those games and enjoy France and enjoy the uh, the U.S. Women's National Team. Tiffany, thank you so much for taking that time to chat with us today. And hopefully, when you're back in in the Bay Area, you can stop into the office and say hey. Absolutely, I really appreciate the time um, and uh, keep watching. Keep watching the games because it's just getting started. Love it, love it, Tiffany. Enjoy France, and uh, we'll be chatting here soon. Great, thank you. Bye bye. This is Josh Sugg from New Mexico United, and you're listening to Steal Some Time.
Welcome back in to Steal Some Time and Tiffany Milbert providing a lot of really uh, cool insights, I think, of her time with the women's national team and in her career now. And I think the coolest thing coming out of that interview was me asking her, why, what was, what was it about the 99ers? You know, why did they have such a big impact? And she's like, listen, we were just freaking good. <laughs> and that, and that's it. I mean, mic drop. Yep. Said it all right there. Honestly, she's great. I, I Next question. She, yeah. she was so honest, though, and that's really what we want out of these interviews. And I was hoping she'd come right in with the VAR, uh, you know, current all the issues surrounding VAR right now and um, give us a really honest take on that. And she did that. And I think that's kind of one of the things with me. I, I side with her a little bit more and I get that it's there for a reason, you know, and it's for the most part, doing what it's supposed to do. But I think as a whole, it's taking away from the organicness of live sport. And people aren't even getting the opportunity to celebrate goals anymore because we're like, oh, wait, is is, is it counting? Is it is it real? You know, it's – I don't know where you stand on, on the whole VAR. You go back and forth a little bit, right? I think it's a necessary evil in terms yeah. of – I think it's extremely important that we get the rules right and then follow the rules the letter of the law and everything that you talk about when you talk about the integrity and protecting the game, I think it takes entirely too long. I think that the biggest issue that I have with all of this is the fact that we're, we're sort of still using it as a guinea pig type style, and that's not great. And, and I understand that it's been tested in the Men's World Cup and it's been tested in the Confederations Cup. I don't, I don't care about the men's versus women's aspect. It's the fact that we're still trying to test this in the biggest tournaments that – both the men's and women's sport are able to experience. And by the way, it only happens like once every four years. You couldn't have found something else to use this as. But uh, that on top of the fact that it does take a lot of the emotion, the immediate emotion out of situations, I think is just – it robs the view and it, it robs the moment. And I think that, um, you know, we could get into a situation where if we get some sort of dramatic last-second goal – and teams are starting to celebrate, and then we all have to sit there for three minutes while the head official sits there with her earpiece, checking her earpiece, and then she goes, oh, okay, well, now I'm going to the monitor. And it's just like that's going to take all the jubilation, the instant jubilation, and, and honestly also the instant heartbreak out of situations to make them worse, I think, on both sides. I think it's worse for the team that wins because they have to sit there and wait to hear that they won, and it's even worse for the team that ends up losing because – they get scored on. They have to sit there, maybe a little bit of hope, and then they find out that it was given anyway. And it's like, this just sucks, man. Like, find a better way to take it on. I agree. I think soccer is kind of along the lines of baseball, one of the last professional sports to bring in an instant replay type system, you know, an, an assisted referee system. And it makes me wonder, is are we looking at more of an NFL route where it takes us – 40, 50, 60 years to really get it right. I mean, the NFL went as far as voting to drop instant replay altogether. And then eventually they did obviously bring it back. But, I mean, they were so concerned about it slowing down the pace of the game, which is kind of ironic when you watch an NFL <laughs> game now. But um, I don't have five hours on a Sunday <laughs> to do that anymore. Sorry. So it's just – I don't know if you're ever going to win. You know, there is always going to be a, an issue, I think, with VAR. Well, and even worse, in the Saints-Vikings-NFC – uh, championship game last year when you have that egregious pass interference no call on the field that isn't reviewable by a video official it's like what is the point then and I think that again 
in soccer and especially where we're seeing in the Women's World Cup, it has very specific and very beneficial uses. I think that the technology itself is not the problem. I think a lot of rule interpretation and maybe even rule, some of the rules themselves are the biggest issues, but the time factor has to be eliminated. We cannot be waiting for two, three minutes just to get a decision that we all can see at home but somehow can't be made out by not only the team in the room but also the head official on the field who can't trust the word that she's being relayed to. So I'm not going to call it a farce. I think that it's, it's necessary. It just needs a dramatic amount of improving. VAR is just a tool. It's the implementation of that tool and the rules that it's inf- enforcing are the are the issues really? That's what. Yeah, that's that's my side at least. Yeah, that, that's a heck of a line there, Calvo. I was uh, I was working on that one for a while. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm glad you were able to sit on that. Let <laughs> the fire burn. Uh, conti- I want to continue with our World Cup theme and go into Marta's line off of their devastating loss uh, this weekend. If you haven't seen the post game interview with Marta. You have got to Google that now. We'll play it for you. I mean, Mark, I I got the chills. I kind of wanted to cry. I wanted to run through a brick wall. It was like every sort of emotion coming out of Marta's interview. Because I think in that point, it might be, this might be it for me. You know, it's, it's all of these scenes kind of hitting her at once. But, I mean, she ended with that line that's, it's, let's see, let's find this. Cry in the beginning so you can smile in the end. I mean, writers can't think of something that quick. And she's in a post-game interview on the field, and she walks off the camera because Having you just know, played 120 minutes. Like, I just it, – and it broke the internet. I mean, people everywhere are just losing their minds over this interview. Well, she was about to obviously shed quite a few more tears than I think she was prepared to on camera, uh, hence the early exit. But my biggest thing was, once again, the – component of the human spirit in which we often align ourselves with in sport is resiliency and just the idea of the good guy who gives it their all or the good girl who gives it their all and leaves it all out on the field and whether they're successful or not and they whether Marto ever won a world cup or could have won this world cup or whatever you see clips like that and and you see the human in them and you get to really resonate with the message that they're sending because it's not just applicable to the little girls in Brazil. It's applicable to the little girls and boys in this country. It's applicable to the world's game and the youth movement that she is calling upon to carry this and leave a legacy and and do something that's bigger than yourself and work hard. And it's going to be difficult and, and everything she touches on, which I'm sure you will have either have heard or will hear uh, it's what makes us, human and it's what makes us fall in love with individual moments and more importantly individuals and it goes so so far beyond colors or glory or medals and comes down to to why we all care about this game like we do you talked about writers and like i always feel like sports is the greatest storytelling platform in the world i mean there's heroes there's villains there's success there's failure there's triumph there's struggle there's great words in impactful moments. Like that's that's why we love sport. It's it's the storylines that come out of moments like that. And I think despite who wins this World Cup, that might be the biggest moment that we come away from. You know, the 2019 Women's World Cup. Yeah, is, is that interview with Martin? And I mean, it, and I mean this in the best way possible. 
it wasn't a political take. You know what I mean? It right. wasn't calling on federations to support the women like they need to, absolutely. But this was rooted in the heart of good and in her ability to recognize that, wow, I just played 120 minutes, but this may be my only chance to tell the little girls of Brazil how much this game can mean to them because of how much it's meant to me. Yeah, that, that, that hits me. It was big time. It was huge. It was a beautiful moment. And this is why we love the World, the World Cup. And I love this sport. And I love the stage that that this gets to be on. And um, I, I can't wait for these next, you know, two weeks. And uh, just really thankful that Marta was able to provide some insight that I think a lot of people really needed to hear. Well, and honestly, this is also why we end up loving social media for areas like this. Yes. Because Marta says that 30 years ago, and it doesn't have the ability to reach as many people as it does today. And the fact that she got her moment of recognition, I saw literally hundreds of people just quote tweeting it with just crying emoji yeah. faces because it's just like just so heartbroken but also just so proud of that woman for what she's accomplished and and the legacy that she wants to leave through a few words at the end of 120 minutes you know nail on the head i could talk about this for five more hours but we've got to look ahead at week 17 i think our biggest matchup and again you alluded to it earlier indy and louisville yeah uh, Lipa FC, the Louisville Indianapolis <laughs> can we, Football can Association we just want, Proximity L- Contest. Louisville. 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 The Louisville Indianapolis. It's like there's a rock in your mouth. Proximity Association just, Football I'm Contest. Sorry, Are we about to venture down Kelsey Steele pet peeve lane? That's it. I'm done. I just Louisville. 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 No, I think this one's going to be great. It is. It's got a lot. And I think that. Uh, Keep in mind, this was Louisville's first opportunity at a at a loss last year, at a road loss last year when they went up there on May 5, uh, Derby Day, and got beat 1-0 in a very strange noon kickoff. Circumstances a little bit different this time around. Indy added a couple pieces, including former Louisville City forward Elliot Illich, who may or may not play part in this. Uh, Louisville... Coming off the Open Cup loss against Cincinnati, a, a home draw with the Charlotte Independence last weekend that I don't think left them very satisfied. So they're going to want to make a statement in Indianapolis, and obviously Indy priding themselves on their home form and really their recent form in general. This one's going to be packed. I, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the crowd that's there and play on the field. I'm hoping it's high. I'm hoping that Indy can kind of prove us wrong a little bit and really rise to the occasion a, against a team that always brings their best and has that reputation they carry with them week in and week out. But both teams need this badly. And they're right right there in the, the standings right now, too, in the East. So, I mean, it's Saturday is going to be a good one between those two. Also, though, on the West – I'm looking at like five or six games yeah, over in the Western Conference that all look super competitive as well. Um, so I I don't know how you pick one. I think Fresno El Paso is going to be really good. Um, you know, you had a, a Phoenix, few. Phoenix Portland. Phoenix Portland's yep. going to be good. Um, stacking up those home and away numbers are going to be really interesting moving into that narrative as well. So, uh, yeah, week 17 has a lot to offer. Yeah, just as much as before. And we are almost right at the halfway point, which is crazy to think about. But this is, I think, a great indication of the table that you're looking at now may very much look somewhat similar, if not very, very similar in October. So pay attention to where teams are at now because oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, this is a good indicator of where they're going to pace out and how much or how – I guess how much teams rise or how much they fall depends on obviously them being able to replicate results that we just saw 
But again, normally how it shakes out, you see teams in very similar positions at the end of the year is where you do at the halfway point. So just something to keep an eye on. John Arlia put his bracket together if the playoffs were to start right now. Mm. So I'd be interested to see come week 33 what that looks like compared to now. And, and maybe you're both right on par. Who knows? Uh, we got to move into shots fired. Matt Calvo. Hi. Hi. Hello, friends. So glad we got to the segment today. Oh, yeah. Apologies, everyone. You get World I'm Cup scared. on our minds, and it's just it's so long. Well, God forbid we should stop talking about soccer for some shenanigans <laughs> that we have. This isn't a soccer-related question? Today is not soccer-related. Because uh, this weekend, <laughs> this weekend we saw the opening of Toy Story 4. Oh. The movie. How many other Toy Stories were there? Three. Okay, but this is not the topic for okay. debate. The topic for debate today is best toy when you were growing up. Oh. Like most sentimental toy or just well, best take that, toy? Take that how, how you wish. Okay. Your best, favorite, most impactful, I was such a weird kid. whatever toy. Look Farm equipment does not count. <laughs> what, I'm sorry, what? Farm equipment does not count uh, as a toy. What about her buddy Jake the Rake? Man, you don't know her childhood. Neither do farm animals. I feel targeted, okay, at this moment. I'm just saying, you spend a lot of time in the 4-H fairs, I, which is great, but yeah. that does not qualify for toys. Okay, uh, that's, for, for that's going to have to put me back here another minute or so discussion. while I think about how farm animals are my only friends. We're going to stick with things that traditionally can be identified as toys to the mass population, perhaps okay. something that was purchased at a toy store. Mm. Uh, for your your okay. your best best toy. I like this question. While you're going, I'm I'm kind of excited about this one actually. Curious to see where you guys go, as I'm sure the rest of the listening audience is. <laughs> so so Kelsey Steele got Cincinnati the big win last week. I did win so, for the Natty finally. So she she gets to go first. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, go. So mine doesn't have a name, but the best toy for me growing up was uh, my long neck. So I was a big dinosaur girl, and I had a huge roll of uh, dinosaurs on the floor that I would play all at the same time. Long neck was the best solely because of the Land Before Time, greatest children's movie of all time. Every now and then I would get my belts out of my parents' closet and use them as larger long necks, and we would just have like a, a, a big like area together, and I would just play with dinosaurs by myself. So super normal childhood for me dinosaurs yeah i was guys i'm i'm a big tomboy dolls did not exist for me <laughs> there's a lot of judgment in scott's did, face at honestly the no, no, honestly i did not good. expect you to go anywhere near dolls and this and had <laughs> you i would have like just stopped the podcast and that, that would have been what it. a liar <laughs> all right mr stewart are you ready yeah absolutely okay, go so I was born about a month after my parents moved into the house that I grew up in, and uh, we had a neighbor across the street, Dennis, great guy, big U of M fan. But anyway, Dennis got me this little bear, this white little bear that had a bunch of other bears on its body with a lot of little balloons. And this little guy, like, again, same vein, no name, but I took him with me absolutely everywhere from the time that I literally had him in my crib with me until now sitting in a box in Tampa just in case. You have one of those bad days, you know? We both took such sentimental oh routes. Everybody needs their, their bear friend. Wow. Look at us. Fun fact, my nickname growing up was Bear. I collected bears. Wow. I had bear wallpaper in my room. Yeah, the more you know. See, and I wasn't even like a big toy guy, but 
everywhere. Yeah. My sister had a yellow blanket, and I had this little white bear that was just like practically sewed onto my clothing whenever I wore that day. Wow. <laughs> this is tough. Now you guys put me in a hard position because there's so much like emotional Because one that, of our childhood that. toys means yes. less than the yep. other. Yes. Yep, that's where we're at. I should have rethought this. It's all right, Matt. Been more careful. And just really diminish one of our childhoods. <laughs> I am absolutely here to just. I'll have take mine those memories with me forever. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly, I think I gotta go with Scott on this one because oh. he still has the bear. Yeah, you brought the bear down with you to Tampa. Dude, That's the bear a goes little... everywhere. Talk about Andy and Toy Story. Oh, and it's yeah. lost so much stuffing and a little color in it, but still. All bear. he needs is like the little Scott written on his foot. So all I need to do is have my parents send me their belts that they don't wear anymore. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. In a, sure. That's fine. If uh, winning is that important to you, Kelsey. No, it but, is. But it, it, it is. You know me at all. This doesn't need any more clarification. We've yeah. done this. All right. Scott that being said, I think I got to go with uh, Scott Stewart. Thank you. Shots fired winner for this Thank week. Thank you. Scott gets one back. That'll do it for episode six of Steel sometime. We're heading into week 17. A lot going on. Make sure you tune in to Wednesday Night Soccer. This Wednesday, uh, San Antonio is going to be hosting that one with new kits as well. So be sure to check that one out. And we will catch you next week. Bye.